So if you have a Bible, go to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, we're going to get there in a little bit. As you're turning there, we're starting a new series called The Comeback. And I wanted to tell you this week, I did something that I have in my life never before experienced. And it wasn't a good experience. I felt my blood sugar bottom out and nearly passed out. And when I say nearly, I mean I sagged to the ground, but I didn't close my eyes. Like it was, my body was just not in my control. How many of you have been there before? How many of you, that's like every morning? Yeah, so it runs in my family. Carrie's had it happen. Malia's had it happen. Beck's had it happen. It was kind of crazy. I hadn't eaten much that day, and I got up to, to use the bathroom as I started to come back out. The living room, everything started getting black, and I just couldn't stand up. It was so weird. So, of course, my wife, who's really excellent in a crisis, <laughs> kind of yells my name, and later we found out she'd spilled water, like, just, just, Wah! I'm coming to the rescue. She comes over, and I'm sitting up, and I've got that cold sweat thing going. I look awful, and I'm pale, and she's like, I'm calling Greg Peters. <laughs> And I'm trying to calm her down, but I don't have the energy to fight with her at that point. And I'm like, but whatever. And so she gets me juice. I'm like, just give me something sweet. It's going to be okay. And she calls Greg, our doctor. And when, I pick, when he picks up, he goes, cover your mouth, dude. <laughs> That's the first thing my doctor said to me. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Five minutes later, I was back to normal. It's weird. You guys have had that happen. It's a strange experience. How many of you actually passed out before? We could ask, like, go back to your middle school days. How many of you forced yourself to pass out? You guys are weird. Those kids were so strange. Um, It's strange to lose complete control of something that you normally have complete control over. You know what was even stranger for me? That in just a few moments, my body had come back from this. Like, I literally felt like everything was good. I was back to normal. It had never happened. I made an instant comeback. Don't you wish life that was, was that easy to come back from? Like, don't you wish when things hit us or came down on us that we could come back if we ate a cookie or had some juice? Like, life's better now. You know, we love great comeback stories. I've been excited for this series, to start this series, because we love these stories. We love stories of underdogs that find their way back into the champion circle. And and, and I would say this, most, most comeback stories usually have one of two twists. Like the first comeback story is a comeback from failure. Now, these are the stories of someone who falls and fails hard. They try hard, but they blow it. And then down the road, the comeback from failure to find success, they find it like they've never imagined. These are the stories we tell our kids when they fail. Like if our kid doesn't make the team, Michael Jordan didn't make the basketball team in high school. He was cut. I think it was the coach, right? Oprah Winfrey, I don't know if you know this, at age 22, she was fired from a TV show in Baltimore. Dumb people, but she came back. J.K. Rowling, the writer of Harry Potter, was clinically depressed. She was rejected from a dozen publishers before her book was published. I don't know if they came back, but she did. There's another comeback story, though, and this is the story of someone who's been on top as a champion and then gets knocked down or falls off. They get knocked down and knocked out, and they have to fight hard to make their big return. Did you know that Steve Jobs, who founded Apple at age 21, he did okay for himself, and was worth millions by age 23. The problem was he recruited a Fortune 500 CEO named John Scully, who fired Jobs three years later from his company, Apple. Jobs went on to start another company called Next. They ultimately were purchased by Apple, and Jobs became the CEO again (laughs) and gloated. Now, you're probably carrying one of Steve Jobs' devices in your pocket, but there was also Mark Twain, who made enough bad business decisions to lose all the money that he had made over the book Tom Sawyer. 
But he moved his family to Europe. He started on this grueling speaking tour. He wrote amazing amounts. He made enough money to restore his fortune and pay off his debt. There was a comeback. Walt Disney had the same type of thing. He created an animation film company that went belly up in 1922. Is that not amazing? He moved to California, and he did just a little better because he created this little mouse that people seem to like in 1928. We love these stories. We get sucked into these stories, and these stories tell us of underdogs, someone who's failed or fallen and is making this comeback. The problem is that for many of us, we don't feel like we belong in these stories. We love reading these stories. We love watching these stories, but we don't feel like we participate in these stories. We feel like we know what it means to fall. We understand what it means to lose control and collapse, but we have no understanding about how we regain control or get back up when it comes to life. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you're facing challenges that you feel like you could use a comeback from, but you have no idea how to get back at it. When it comes to you, maybe it's conflict with friends, with relatives, with coworkers. Maybe you could use a comeback to renewed relationships. Maybe, and if we're honest, in this room, I would imagine every Sunday there are those of you who battle addiction and those battles that you can't get control of. Maybe you have an addiction to sin or substances and you feel like you could use a comeback from despair to victory. Maybe you're just overwhelmed at work, at home, in your marriage, with your kids. Maybe you could use a comeback to a fresh perspective, a new direction or vision for life. Maybe academically you're in a tough season. You need hope and strength to bring you back. Or you have a close relationship that's on the rocks, your marriage or or someone that you're dating, and you could use a comeback of rekindled love. Or maybe you, you have it all, and you feel like, when I look at my life, I should be satisfied. I have resources. I have money. I have all the things that make me look like I should be happy, but you feel empty and purposeless, and you'd love to have a comeback from that. Maybe it's been grief or great loss. Maybe you need a comeback that leads to joy. Or it's been disappointment. You hope for something and it didn't happen and, and you're longing for a comeback that would give you hope again. See, in this room, I believe at many, many points on every Sunday, many of us are feeling this need for the comeback. But you know, the interesting part of every comeback story that I've ever read is that there, there's always a journey, first of all. Nobody just gets up and goes, well, I'm over the failure, I'm over the fall, let's just come back. There's always some kind of journey. My mind always goes to Rocky. Rocky made like 1,200 comebacks. I don't know how he kept messing up life, but he did, and he always came back and became the champion again. It doesn't happen quickly. Comebacks are not like low blood sugar. They don't ever happen easily. They take time and patience, and often they involve, and they even demand perseverance, and we have to go through pain to get there because that's the other thing about comebacks. When we hear the stories and meet the people who have made comebacks, here's the thing you'll find. If you know somebody who's made a comeback, you will find that all of them will talk about the pain. All of them will talk about the pain that took them out, the pain that knocked them down. But when they talk about their pain, they don't talk about it like we do. They talk about it with a new perspective. See, their pain may be alleviated after they've come back, but they find new meaning in the journey of pain. They understand pain and maybe even, this is so weird, appreciate pain in new ways. See, comebacks aren't easy and they have some pain involved, but comebacks, and I hope you get this over this series, comebacks are worth it. Comebacks are worth it. They're worth the journey. They're worth the pain. And and as we start this series, I want to tell you a story over the next six weeks of one specific comeback in the Bible. It's an incredible story. Parts of the story you've probably heard before and parts you may not have heard, but I I believe it's a story that paints for us and is going to lead us to the story of Jesus. Because you know what? I I hope you grab this maybe more than anything else today. Jesus loves comebacks. 
man, church, you got to wake up. Amen? Jesus loves comebacks. And this is even more important to know. Jesus doesn't just love comebacks. Jesus actually loves writing comeback stories. He actually loves creating comeback stories. So if you're looking for a comeback, then you're probably in a pretty good place because you're going to hear about a Savior who loves comebacks. And I believe over the next several weeks as we journey toward Easter and this celebration of the greatest comeback in history, because it is, it's better than Michael Jordan, it's better than Steve Jobs. The resurrection is the greatest comeback the world's ever known. We're going to see some of you, I believe this, we're going to see some of you start to make comebacks. In fact, I've been praying this week that some of you would start making a comeback already. I'm asking God, and many of the people in this room have been asking God for you to start a journey of coming back, coming back to hope, coming back to joy, coming back to peace, and ultimately some of you who have departed need to come back home to God. It may be hard and it may be scary, but I believe it's worth the journey. And along the way, just know this. I would love to tell and share any of your comeback stories that you would like to share. So are you ready for the practical part? Email me your comeback story, justin at newcommunitywv.com. I need to hear your comeback. You could even have a face-to-face conversation and tell me your comeback story. <laughs> we could do that. So as we jump in today, I want to show you some scripture. And, and, and I think I had you go to, did I have you go to 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel? I lied to you. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. You got to go fast because I'm ready to go. 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want to start this story of the greatest king that Israel ever had, King David. Now, this story starts in kind of a hard place because here's what we find in 2 Samuel. It says in chapter 12, verse 15, it says, after Nathan had gone home. Now, Nathan was the prophet of the land of Israel, and Nathan has just come to King David, and he has just said to King David, listen, you cheated with Bathsheba. You remember that story? Like David was out on his roof and there was a woman bathing on the roof next door. I don't know why. I guess they were gathering water. I I would create a system. They had smart people that won wars. I don't know. But she was taking a bath on the roof next door. David, it says, noticed her. Right? There's Hebrew meaning there. You can read into it. And then he decided he wanted to be with her. And so David has her husband actually put on the front lines of the war where he's killed. And David takes her as his wife. And she becomes pregnant through the course of adultery. Now the prophet Nathan has come to David and said, this is wrong. He's confronted David and said, you've messed it up. You've screwed up life. You have now fallen. And here's what it says. After Nathan had gone home, The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, and he spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. Now watch this. On the seventh day, verse 18, the child died. This is the lowest of the low that someone can get. This is the place where you go, I will never come back from this. We can't imagine this loss. There is no coming back. But I want you to see what happens. Look at verse 20 in this same chapter. It says, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. This is just two verses after his child is killed, dies. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food 
and he ate. See, David chose to worship in spite of pain. He learned to worship again. That's the first part of his comeback. Now watch what else happens, verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. By the way, friends, don't ever think that a broken relationship destines you to broken relationships for all of eternity. David still married Bathsheba, and there was a redemption story there. But he made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. So David's comeback starts with worship of God. Then it it moves to restoration in his family. He learned to love again. And then we go to verse 29, and watch this. So David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. David took the crown from their king's head. And it was placed on his own head. So not only did he worship God, not only did he learn to love his family and find restoration there, but he learned to be king again. This was his restoration as king. He learned to fight the battle from the pain that he experienced. Now, over the next six weeks, we're going to cover that chapter in about three weeks' time. We're going to go way deep in that because it's such a powerful story. And I believe that the depths of that story are going to transform us. But when I read this, listen, when I think about the depths of where David found himself, that he had lost his child, that he was responsible for a man's murder, that he had cheated with a woman, that that woman is pregnant and, and that they suffer the loss of that child, that all because of David's own sin and brokenness, his life gets to the lowest of the low. Think about the despair, the darkness that he must have felt. When, when I think about that, I'm absolutely amazed at his comeback. I'm not sure I could have even gotten out of bed. Many of you know what that's like, let alone go and fight another war. Can you imagine? When I read this, I wonder, where did David's comeback, from, comeback come from? How, how did he find the strength to get back up? How did he learn to love? Where did he get the courage to walk into the house of God and go, God, you allowed my child to die, but I'm going to lift my hands to you? Was there something different about David than there is about the rest of us? Is it like Rocky? Like Rocky, he, he could do that. We can't. See, it's interesting. There's this scripture in the New Testament. You don't have to turn there, but hundreds of years after David lived, we're told exactly how God felt about David. Now, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't it be fun if you could know like how God feels about us? Wouldn't it maybe change your life? Some of you are like, I don't want to know how God feels about me, but we're told in the book of Acts. Now, this is the same David that failed, that committed adultery, caused death, wrecked his family. And we're told about him in Acts 13. This is what it says. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He's a man that has a heart like mine, God says. He will do everything that I want him to do. Now, I read that and I think, is that the same David? Like, did we miss something historically? Is there another David that didn't screw up his family, that didn't walk out, that, 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 that didn't, like, lose battles? And, like, what's the, what is that all about? And, and he was an adulterer, a pretty poor father. He's a guy after God's own heart. Like, I could get it if God said something about David having a powerful testimony. When I think of David, he has a really powerful story. You know what that means? We got a screwed up story that God somehow fixed. God doesn't say that. God says David has a heart like Mine. And I think we can find it, the reason for this, the way that God says this in David's origin story. You see, David's comeback didn't happen because he was some biblical superman. David didn't have skills that most of us don't. That, that's not what it was about. Actually, that's not what it's about for any comeback story. It's different than that. And in David's origin, we find a picture of what his heart was really about. If you want to understand David's life, you have to look at the whole story. And like all of us, His story has a context. It has a setting, a historical location. So for David, his story began in this nation of Israel when they were being led by a king who had flat out rejected God. 
They had King Saul. He was a man that if you looked at, you said, he's got it all together. He's tall. He's handsome. He's a warrior. And we want him to be our leader. But as happens with so many leaders, Saul had grown to capture glory for himself more than pouring glory back to God. And it's at that point that the priest, Samuel, is told by God, go to the town of Bethlehem. This is what God says to Samuel. Go to Bethlehem to the house of this man named Jesse. God says, I'm going to replace King Saul with one of Jesse's sons. Now, There are days that I wish God would speak to me, okay? You have those days. But then I read stories like this, and I'm like, that had to be so weird. Like, God was like, hey, go to this little town where a bunch of sheep herders live, and there's a family there, and I'm going to pick a king from his sons. Okay. That's what he's told. So Samuel shows up to the house. Now, here's what goes down. This is 1 Samuel. we got to go back. If you want to turn, you can. I'll probably move too fast for you. So... It's up to you. It'll be on the screen. 1 Samuel 16, here's what it says in verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before, stands here before the Lord. Now, I think Samuel looks at this first son, Eliab, and he's like, oh, this is the guy. Now, I don't know what it was, but something about Eliab impressed Samuel. I don't know if he was out dunking a basketball, his size, stature. I don't know if it was intelligence or reputation, but something made Samuel go, this is going to be a great king. But look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at and praise God for that phrase in Scripture. Some of you just, that's all you need today. You just need to take that and write it on your mirror and live into that. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, this is a clue. This is a clue that tells us clear over in Acts why God could say David was a man after my own heart. It's God telling this priest Samuel, stop thinking about leadership like the rest of the world. I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for heart. Can I, can I just tell you the big idea for today that I hope you grab onto? Here it is, if you're taking notes. To find your comeback, to start your comeback, to move towards your comeback, you have to first recapture your heart. You have to recapture it. See, don't miss this. When God raises up kings, he's not looking at heroes. He's looking at hearts. That was good. I was looking for an amen. (laughs) Church, you got to start talking here. People walk in and think we are boring. Come on. When God raises up leaders, when God raises up comebacks, when God raises up warriors and champions, he never started and go, well, what's his bicep size? He doesn't look for heroes. He looks for hearts. God is not finished with you. You're going to hear that a ton this series. He's not so mad at your failure that he's written off your potential. He just doesn't work that way. That's not the God of the Bible. But, and don't miss this, God is looking at hearts. He's never stopped looking at hearts. And many of you, many of us think that because we don't look like the hero, we can never have the heart for a comeback. And when we don't look like the hero, many of us start to give up on our hearts to find your comeback. You must recapture your heart. David's story goes on, and Jesse has seven sons that pass before Samuel. I just think that was so funny, right? Like, can you imagine just Samuel's like hanging out? I don't know if they're eating hummus or what, but he's just there. And it's like, "Mm mm-mm, nope, not him. Bring in the next one. Nope, mm mm-mm, not here. Seven, no. And it just keeps going. None of them are the king. None of them have the heart that God's looking for. And when Samuel finally goes, do you have any other sons? This is what the dad says. Like, check this out. Yeah, there's David, but he's out with the sheep. <laughs> like, 
Some of you were that child in your family. Like, you know what that means. Your dad loved you, but he didn't think you'd be the king, right? It was like, nah, it's David. He's great, but not a king, right? But when David arrives, we're told something different. Look at verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Now, the reality is there's not much different here than his good-looking brother Eliab, but his heart was different. So he says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, friends, don't miss this because the power came after the heart was right. The power to fight the war happened after the heart was seen by God. It wasn't about power and then I'll fix your heart. It was, I see your heart. You haven't lost your heart. Now watch the power that I'm going to give you, connect with your heart and fuel you into the world. See, David could have been lined up with his brothers and maybe just fit in. He may have been younger, smaller, a little dirty from being with the sheep. He wouldn't have been the first one picked for the team. But when God starts studying hearts, he finds David. He says, I want him on my team. So I want to say this again to find your comeback. You have to recapture your heart. Now listen, if you've been around church very long, I think we have a little bit of a false understanding when it comes to our hearts. You see, many of us grew up, especially around here, being handed a belief that we were evil from the get-go. You may have heard preachers tell you, you probably have, you're nothing but a sinner saved by grace. You ever heard that? You're just a sinner saved by grace. Or you may have been taught the theological term for that, original sin, meaning that because Adam and Eve broke the standards of God, that the rest of humanity was broken forever, and we were born sinful as well. And listen, there's some truth to that. I'm not standing up here telling you I don't believe in original sin. I do, and I know it's real. I believe it theologically because I didn't have to teach my kids to reject me. Amen? Like, they just get it. It's just there. It just dwells in us. We know what it means to do bad things. But, and this is the huge but that the churches, the theologians for a long time left out. There's more to that story than just your own evil nature. Because when God first created humanity, he looked at Adam and Eve in relationship to the rest of the world, and he said, it's very good. He didn't say, I like it, but they're going to suck. He said, it's very good. And the way humanity was meant to interact with the world was very good. So this illusion of nothing but a sinner saved by grace often limits our potential to live into the nature of our hearts. Let me make this simpler. This is a heart. This is a wooden heart. And let me ask you this question. Do you remember when your heart was innocent? Maybe it's been a long time for you, but think back to those days when your childhood allowed you to be innocent. Do you remember what that was like? Think about those original dreams you had, the things that you were passionate about. For me, all it took was a Nerf football, a toy shotgun, and a BMX bike. And I had hours of imagination. I had hours of creativity. I could spend days with just those three things and a warm day. And you know what those things created? They created for me something that we as humans still need today, the opportunity to play. See, so many of us have forgotten our heart. We've lost our heart because we've forgotten how to play. Because at that point in life, I would let myself play without hesitation. And see, hesitation is what starts to capture our hearts. I had a heart that was fully alive. I was able to play, to imagine, to dream, and to create entire worlds. But it's easy to lose that heart, isn't it? 
See, your heart was originally good. It was passionate and playful, free and uninhibited. But we all, every single one of us, somewhere along the line, begins to lose our hearts. For some of you, you lost your heart early on. You lost it early on. You lost it in the midst of a home or the midst of a family that hurt you. You suffered, you hurt, and you grew up too fast, and your heart started to get marks on it. You started to enter into relationships as you got older that maybe began to say, I think he's the one, I think she's the one, I think these people are going to be so wonderful in my life. If I just feel what my family hurt, then everything's going to be okay. But you know what? You gave that person a piece of your heart because every time we enter into a relationship with someone, we give them a piece of our heart. And then when they give it back, they don't give the whole thing back. Amen? And we understand what that's like. And so our heart, while it may have started young and innocent and free and playful, it begins to be filled with scars and wounds and abuse. And life hits us and life damages us. I used to teach this to students and I would actually, by the end, as we were talking about dating, I would take a chainsaw and cut the heart because that's the reality for many of us. Many of us don't know what's left of our heart. And you know what happens when we start to lose our heart? We start to do this thing called growing up. Now, isn't it funny, that phrase, growing up? See, we treat it like it's the best thing someone can do. We actually lecture people at times going, why don't you just grow up? Why don't you just grow up? But see, growing up seems to be the very thing that causes us to lose sight of our hearts. And it's so fascinating to me because the people that I know that I'm watching age, the healthy people that I'm watching get older around me, they tend to be the ones who are kind of aging in reverse. Are you with me? Like they're growing young. They get to retirement and they're like, life's fun again. I'm not working for the man. I'm not fighting the man. Ken's got a countdown, right? Like we know how much is left and we start to age backwards. They seem to hit a point. Maybe it's with grandkids. Maybe it's the retirement, other factors. But we start to grow young again and we seem to watch them become the ones who learn how to recapture their hearts. I don't know what the condition of your heart is. I don't know how badly you've been wounded. I don't know if you've failed miserably or caused brokenness in the relationships and the world around you. I don't know if your heart is broken because of the nature of your own sin. But I know that if you're here looking for a comeback, it's because we've lost the heart that God gave us. That's what he created in us. God gave us good hearts. God gave us innocent and pure hearts. God created us with dreams. He created you with those things that you used to pretend about, you used to dream about and be passionate about, and somewhere we lost sight of it. So I want you to hear this. If you're going to come back, you have to recapture your heart. Now, here's the question in the time that I have left. How do we do this? And I think we learned from David. See, David writes a prayer several years later. After Samuel comes to him and, and anoints him as king, he goes through this incredible journey uh, of becoming king. If you want to journey through this as we go towards Easter, man, I would encourage you, read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. The stories are amazing. But he goes through this journey, and then he, he like all of us, he has highs, he has lows, he starts to, to mess up his life. He has the Bathsheba thing going on. He has his own son, uh, Absalom, start to rebellion against him. Listen, can you imagine you're the king, God's put you in place, and your son's like, I don't think you should be king. Let's fight a war against each other. And so David goes into hiding in the desert. He has no access to his family, his friends. He's cut off from the palace and the temple where he would go to worship God. And watch, this is what he writes at that very moment in Psalm 63. Here's what he says. You, God, are my God. 
Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So you want to recapture your heart? Here's step one. Start to confess the fact that you've lost your heart. David cries out to God. He says, listen, God, I'm longing for you. This is dry. This is wilderness. This is desert. My heart has been battered. Much of it is my own fault, God. Much of it is other realities' fault. I've I've suffered. I've been abused. I've faced all these things. But he says, God, my heart is lost, and I want it back. See, in this desert, David cries out about just how thirsty he is. Do you know how often that we spend trying to convince others and ourselves that our heart is still intact? Just, just, consider, I mean, just think about the course of a day, how many times you're trying to convince other people that you're okay. It's absurd. We spend time trying to pursue our own potential. And listen, that's a fruitless pursuit. See, your own potential is stunted at best when you've lost your heart. When you've lost your heart, you'll never reach your full potential. The things that keep knocking us down, the things that take us out, the failure, the jealousy, the ambition, the insecurity, the comparison, those things will just keep coming. And if you don't have your heart, all your strategies, all your self-help, all your self-pursuit, all your own potential, those are nothing but distractions when you lose your heart. When we've forgotten how to dream, when we've forgotten our passions, when our heart's been taken captive by the brokenness we've caused or the brokenness done to us, we have no hope of quenching the thirst that lies deep within us. If you want to write a new story, if you want to find your way to a comeback, you're going to have to come clean about the condition of your heart. And for some of you, that's absolutely terrifying. David cries out that he's empty, he's dry, he's longing for God's living water again. And I want to invite you today to just come clean. To just say, God, I lost my heart. I'm tired of playing pretend. I'm tired of playing the spiritual game. When it comes to the conflict, I'm held up by this. When it comes to addiction, I can't win it on my own. When it comes to the overwhelming stuff, when it comes to my relationships, when it comes to the fact that I have everything but I still feel purposeless, whether that I'm suffering such grief, God, it's not about fixing problems. It's about finding my heart. David goes on in that psalm and he says this, God, I've seen you, verse 2, in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. See, here's the second thing that David does. He confesses that he's lost his heart, but he also starts to remember where he started. He says, God, I'm in a place that's dry and I don't have my heart, but I remember the temple. I remember the sanctuary. I remember God seeing your glory. See, friends, the second thing is you start to recapture your heart. I want want you to remember the dreams that God planted in your heart. Can I just give you permission to start to dream again? To start to imagine again? To start to play again? If you're going to recapture the heart God created in you, it's going to be necessary to remember. In Psalm 51, David says, God, restore to me. Help me remember. Help me renew, restore the joy of salvation. See, when I remind you of what it's like to be a child, to imagine, to play, and dream, I don't think that's just childlike innocence. I think that's when we're closer to who God created us to be. I think that's about how life is supposed to be. Can you imagine if we all just started playing pretend together? It'd be weird, but it'd be super fun. Some of you are like, yes, let's do it. And I bet those of you who long for it maybe have more of your heart still intact. What was it like when you first met God? What was it like to know the joy of that salvation? Can I just tell you your good news? The potential God sees in you often cannot be seen by you. 
See, what God sees as potential in you, you may not even be able to see. So you're going to have to imagine. You're going to have to, to find the potential that God wants for you to become the champion that God wants you to be. You're going to have to allow yourself to imagine. Parents, you know this because you see potential in your kids that they don't even know about. You look at your kids and you're like, no, I see what you can be. And I'm invested in who you can be. Remember, friends, where you started because you might start dreaming again. Here's the the last part of this psalm that I want to read. Verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you, God, as long as I live. And in your name, watch, I will lift up my hands. See, here's the third thing. David says, God, I've lost my heart. He confesses that he lost his heart. He says, I want to remember what it was like where, where I've been. I want to remember where you started me from. And then he finally says, I'm going to choose to get back up. I'm going to choose to get back up. Everything in me wanted to play Rocky II today. Like it just, ah. Oh. I'm choosing to get back up. I love those verses because in the middle of the desert, in his greatest time of need and some of his deepest thirst, David makes a choice. He says, I'm going to lift my hands in the middle of the desert. And his choice is the same choice you have in the middle of a worship service every single week, in the middle of your kitchen every single morning, in the middle of your bedroom every single night, in the middle of your marriage, in the middle of your job, in the middle of your parenting, in the middle of every pain that you feel. You have the choice to say, God, I will lift my hands. I will lift my hands because I know that you're not finished. If you want to start this comeback story, if you want to recapture your heart, if you want to find your way back to the meaning, the purpose that God has in store for you, you have a choice to make. You are not powerless, and it's the choice to get back up. When we worship together, friends, when we find ourselves in a place where we confess that our heart has been lost, and we start to remember where God has brought us, then we have a choice to make. You can stay where you are. You can keep remembering the good old days. And friends, that's okay. That's fun, but I'm tired of good old day Christians. I'd like to find some Christians who are saying, let's make the good old days. Let's create the good old days. You can stay where you are, or you can, like every great hero that gets knocked down or knocked out and fights their way back to the top, you can choose to get back up. When we worship together and life is hammering you down, you can raise a hand and surrender to God and make the choice to praise him in spite of pain. And don't miss this. Sometimes when you lift your hand to God, the person beside you who didn't have the strength to lift theirs goes, you know what? I know what they've been through. I can lift my hand too. And we become the church in that way. I want to invite you into a story of comeback today. I told you that the greatest comeback stories the world has known are filled with people who come through trials with a deeper awareness of their own pain. Comebacks make the choice, but they make the choice to get back up only after they recognize they've lost their hearts and they remember what can be and where they've come from. And it's that point that the true gift of pain that has knocked them down is the very thing they embrace. I want to invite you to this story today. I'm going to invite the band to come. Because I want to invite you to recapture your heart. See, as the band comes, here's the reality. Many of you hurt right now because I have just identified the state of your heart. Many of you are sitting here going, you just nailed me. You could color that thing black. You could cut some pieces off. You could put some holes in it because that's the condition of my heart. Here's the great news. Ezekiel 36, God says this. He doesn't say, I'll clean up your heart. He doesn't say, I'll sand it down. It's going to hurt. He doesn't say, I'll erase it. I'll paint over it. I'll I'll try to mend what you've broken. He actually says in Ezekiel 36, I'm going to give you a new heart. 
I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. See, many of us have lost our hearts. We've lost our way. We find ourselves sitting here today fighting back tears because somewhere we remember what it was like to dream, to imagine, to play, to pursue the things we're passionate about. You remember your own bikes. You remember your own toy guns and your Nerf footballs, and we long for simple days. Maybe you've watched your heart become a heart of stone. Today, I want to invite you to a comeback story by inviting God to give you a heart of flesh, a new heart.